0: you're listening to two guys talking wine with michael pincus and andre Prue. all right so um here i am in the st catherine's studio and it seems that andre has left me for a bit and when i went to australia andre decided to bring some people in as co-hosts and guests And when he did that, he seemed to have quite the sausage party. He had Conard Edgebeck, he had the Sparkling Winos, he had a guy called the uh, Blind Gamer. But I decided that we should have some women in. And then I found out, uh, thankfully, that the restraining order has been lifted and we are now allowed to have women on the podcast. Andre didn't tell me that we had been banned. So uh, I think it was just at his house. So today I have brought in... Brittany and I can never say your last name, so I'm going to let you do it.
1: Basilewski.
0: Yes. Uh, do they call you Baz?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's they easier. Do. All right.
0: So so I brought Brittany in, and Brittany. What do you do?
1: I'm the uh, marketing and special events manager for Creekside Estate Winery, Queenston Mile Vineyards, and Rude Apple Cider, actually, and the estate Somme for both winery properties as well.
0: Look at that. It's like mm-hmm. a large title. Does that fit on the card?
1: Doesn't. No. Okay. We're getting a, a, a like a Rolodex just for my for my titles, titles. from here on out. Yeah. No.
0: So my first my first important question of the day is, have you ever uh, looked at your hands and realized that you cut yourself and wondered where the heck you got that cut from? Always. Okay, good, because I got one earlier today and I was like looking at it going, where did the they get that cut from? So, But that's a non-wine question. Today we are now going to talk about, you, you've lined up three bottles of wine. Now, Creekside's been in existence for how long?
1: Uh, so we've been doing our thing for 21 years, actually. So we celebrated our 20th last year in 2017. And then, then this year, it's 21 in total for production. So
0: Got it. And... W- Creekside is now going to be focusing On certain grape varieties Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so our niche has always Pretty much been Syrah and Sauvignon Blanc With like a very Kind of big go towards Aromatic whites, so over the past Few years we've floated Burgundy in Burgundy varietals have floated out, but Sauvignon Blanc and Syrah have always remained The constant, pretty much since inception And then those big Bordelais-styled Meritage blends As well. So and Laura's
0: stuff. Red, which would have been the Iconic.
1: That is kind of the color Followed red at Creekside, most yeah. definitely best value you're going to find for 25 bucks for sure.
0: So I I always think that there's some iconic wines in Ontario. You'd look at the Trius red, obviously, and you'll look at Laura's red, which is you know two of the most iconic reds uh, that come out of the province. Uh, and and then you also have for Ontario, nobody would ever thought Syrah would have been a thing to have, and I'm looking at three bottles of Syrah, which we are going to talk about, obviously. But you did mention something else earlier and we should just touch on it really briefly, then we'll get to it a little bit later. <laughs> sure. Queenston Mile, what the hell is Queenston Mile?
1: So we have been farming this beautiful vineyard on the St. David's Bench now for 20 plus years. So it's been the bread and butter, dare I say, of Creekside's red portfolio for years now. And then finally in 2012, when we had uh, new ownership actually take over at Creek, we bought that vineyard outright. So previously we were making wines there for Weir and Gretzky many, many, many moons ago when we were doing a lot of co-packing for some of our partners. So it seemed odd that we really didn't have a fit for those other vinifera that are in that vineyard really at Creekside. So knowing the land so well seemed odd that we wouldn't also take that beautiful parcel of land and actually do a little bit more connectivity between the wines and the place. So already having a barn there, we were doing winemaking for Weir and Gretzky there. It seemed a bit of an erroneous miss on our behalf not to use that space. So finally, Rob and his winemaking team get pretty much like tabula rasa. They have blank slate to do whatever they want, however they want, at whatever pace they want to. Granted, marketing gets in the way every now and then, <laughs> um, but uh, it's all about really that passion project for them. So you'll see some weird bridal and bridal expert marritations coming out of Queenston. So stay tuned because it's it's going to be really fun more than anything, and it won't be consistent, consistent, consistent. It'll be that exploratory experience. It'll be really. Interesting And we'll set Queenston apart From Crete Totally
0: So Queen uh, So Queenston uh, No let's start Let's Geez I really don't Know where to go Because I have Lots of questions About both <laughs> This one. So the Undercurrent wines, let's yes. say, would they now come out of Queenston Mile or are you still going to do Creekside side? They'll still
1: stay at Creek. Undercurrent is probably, um, it's where all the geeks go to play and it's where the winemaking team goes to play now currently as well. So they'll do weird stuff. Like we did a Skin Contact, which we called Viorangier, which is actually a Skin Contact VO first vintage came out last year they played with that that went under undercurrent we've done some really interesting format sizes and barrel ferments as well in undercurrent and mostly with that vinifera that's associated with creek Melbeck, petit rideau um cab franc syrah you name it those all go into undercurrent and those won't leave there will be a riot if we get rid of undercurrent yeah there's no way
0: so, Queenston Mile is on Queenston Road in Niagara-in-the-Lake, it where is. the where Creekside is on the bench. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, it is kind of a little hidden... I want to call it a hidden gem, but I mean, it's like a little hidden driveway that if you're driving too fast along Queenston...
1: You blink and you miss it. Yeah, you're
0: going to miss it. Now, I know you have a big Now Open sign uh, on there. Are, is, is there any um, any plans to jazz up the front, or you're not allowed to do it because it's on a residential street?
1: Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll keep it in the four walls, but eventually... <laughs> (laughs) that concession six entry point so there's a beautiful drive in eventually coming from con six all the way around the vineyard and closer to the queenston road entry so queenston road right now is technically a temporary entrance which eventually will move to our like delivery and receiving area and then that beautiful kind of meandering drive in through the actual like queenston mile vineyard property will begin to become the Main entrance.
0: And and just so people know where that entrance is, it's basically across the road from Culinary.
1: Exactly. Like, if we had any type of pitching arm, we could, like... Betty and I could play catch every okay. day. That's yeah. what I thought. All
0: right. So, um... Yeah, so there's not much to really say about Queenston at the moment, besides what's all been said. Is that, or would you like to give it another place? Queenston's
1: just kind of getting out there. What we more more than anything, I think, what we want to do is invite people into our space and let you taste the difference. Because I know there's a lot of raised eyebrows about what's the difference between Creekside and Queenston Mile, and really they. They're very, very different. Even the way wa- Rob styles his wines between both portfolios, they are left and right wing from one another. But think Queenston Mile, think burgundy, sparkling. Go to que- Creekside, think big, big reds and beautiful aromatic whites.
0: Your, uh, your Blanc de Noir out of Queenston Mile is outstanding. It's you and I tried it earlier sweeter. in uh, in the fall, I guess. And Pretty it was, austere. It was okay. Yeah. Like I mean, it was a good wine. <laughs> And then now that it's been in bottle, I think a little bit longer, and it's now under cork and it's come into its own, it's really, it's really come into its own. And that, that austerity, that, that acidity has just popped.
1: It's funny with Rob's wines, he has a tendency in their youth, all of those, lots of Lee's contact in the whites, or depending on new oak, oaking agents with our reds, they always have this initial kind of like Eek! when they first get in to bottle, like that's, bottle that's shock. That's the sound
0: where you're, you're pulling out the cork. <laughs> that's they?
1: exact. Yeah. And it's just like, whoop, full stop. And then, We'll all have a minor heart attack and go, oh my goodness, did we hit it? Did we not hit it? And then give it three weeks and you're like, oh, there's all that fruit that was there before we put it in bottle and it went to sleep. And then that's why Rob is now going gray. It's because of all of these <laughs> these moments at Creekside that these bottles have a bit of a moment to come into their own, for yeah, sure.
0: Uh, that sparkling was just outstanding. And Thanks, the, Michael. obviously the Chardonnay has come come uh, into its own and you're going to do some Pinots there Ooh, and yeah. everything like that. So. So now let's uh, let's talk, I guess, about your iconic wines, which are the Syrah. They're
1: the We've babies. talked
0: Laura's Red. We've talked uh, about Sauvignon Blanc, which has always been, you know, uh, and I'm sure everybody knows about it. If you want to give a little plug to Sauvignon Blanc, why it's so good on your property, let's do that now before we get into Syrah.
1: We, by all scientific reasoning, should not have a great site. Sylvion Blanc, but Murphy's Law would have it that that backyard vineyard is a producer of quality fruit, vintage after vintage after vintage, even in 15 when we got rocked by that evil winter, though the crop in 16 was a lot. Less, Unfortunately, the quality of fruit that still came out of that vineyard just kept coming and coming and coming. So that vineyard runs this really interesting line between old world and new world, by the way, like the essentially the vinifera present. So our early pick dates give us this really bright acid. Rob gets a ton of tropical fruit out of that first pick, too. So lots of guava and passion fruit. Then we'll take an additional hang time and pick backyard block for still. Which tends to be nice and high in acid, but brings more of that savory things out for a couple more weeks thereafter in our reserve Sauvignon Blanc. And then we kiss that with just a hint of neutral French. And we get this beautiful window of Sauvignon Blanc from bubbles to, to barrels. So
0: so whenever we record at Andre's place, uh, I don't know if you've ever met his dog or anything, Henry, always shows up either by barking or licking somebody inappropriately uh so my cat amber has wandered in and you're a big cat fan so um he will now hang out on your lap i hope you don't mind
1: absolutely not
0: okay good so we're gonna talk uh syrah which means now i'm pouring obviously you were originally going to pour and uh yeah, if you le- you lean too far forward, he will jump off. Yeah. So that's how it is. So the nice part is you get served. Oh, and very uh, you, swishy. I love and, it. And, and you get the warmth of the cat. So uh, let's talk about Syrah. Obviously, a place Ontario uh, as a as a wine growing region should not be growing Syrah. Uh, Cab would be another one that we don't we shouldn't be growing. But Syrah is one of those ones that people would think there's no chance in hell you guys make Syrah. And yet you guys seem to knock it out of the park year after year after year. So now, for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, you have all three of the big boys. The Iconoclast, the Broken Press, and the Unbroken in the same vintage year, all 2016. So now people can actually see what the difference between these three wines exactly. are. Exactly. Yeah. So, we're going to we're going to taste them and talk about them. So, which do you want me to pour first?
1: We should go Iconoclast to Broken and leave Big Unbroken Broken till okay. the very end.
0: All right. So, we're going to start with the Iconoclast. What is the deal with the Iconoclast? Uh,
1: So I don't want to say that it's broken press light, but it's a little bit broken press light. So unlike broken press Syrah, this still contains a small component of Viognier, but actually considerably less than what we see in broken. And by considerably less to our winemaking team, that's a switch of 2%. And that Viognier only comes in by way of skin contact. So in this case, Iconoclast and Broken Press are literally separated by barrel selection. So the same vineyard source, same for the most part treatment in oak, unless it's a different barrel selection. But Ico, Syrah, sees more new wood than Broken Press does as well.
0: Got it. So um, having tried these, again, in the fall with you, uh, it seems that Iconoclast has mellowed a little bit. So yeah. it's been at least four or five months since we tried these. Exactly. And uh, it does seem to have
1: um,
0: mellowed, although the, the new wood is quite prevalent in this wine. And it's under screw caps. So the other two are under cork. cork, but this one's under screw cap. What was the decision to go Iconoclast, with all its new wood, to go under under
1: under Stelvin. Yep. So, we also have a bit of a vintages play with Iconoclast as well. So, just for pure consumer friendly packaging, Rob also uses specific liners as well with his Stelvin closures to ensure that there's a small bit of oxygen pass through to put a little bit of that nuance in. But it's not great. It's all about that like consumer friendliness, really, and the approachability of opening a sc- like a screw cap syrah versus something with cork.
0: We're just taking a quick picture here.
1: Cat selfies. The
0: cat selfie is here. And he's really... There we go. That's great. So that's the Iconoclast. Lots of uh, lots more new oak, as you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Um, a little bit of Viognier, although I don't think it's, it's apparent in any way, shape, or form.
1: Not as much as in the broken. Aromatically with broken press lifted on the nose, you get that candied apricot. There's beautiful, beautiful florality. More than anything, Viognier in this bottle is coming in for that color concentration as well. It's inky, it's dark, like it's almost completely opaque. Like there's very little like light pass through once you get into that glass.
0: Perfect. Yeah, so I, I guess if you like them... Because of that screw cap, I, I think the ageability on that is uh, is really good. Like, I mean, 10 years or, or more.
1: Yeah, like the tannins are still really forward. Yep. They're still pretty coarse. Like, those will all start to lay down a little bit. We also have to keep into consideration 16 was a monster yep. of a vintage. We were having Pinot Noir actually resonate on the vine. So when it came to pick date, it wasn't about finding the right ripeness it was really battling for us always in queenston road vineyard it's tannin structure we get tannin out of that vineyard whether we ask for it or we don't now layer that in with bricks levels and super ripe fruit it was i hate to say it but mother nature finally kind of came to the table in 16 and pretty much across the board in the vineyard i know she doesn't come very often we usually roll out the press and she rolls in frost and rain clouds yeah
0: like uh, like 18 oh brutal yeah so um and, and, and what I also find very interesting about this wine is uh, the fun label that you have on it. It's black on black for the most part, which just, um, it's like even hard to, to it's pick It's like tonality. Yeah, it's just really weird. Usually on these podcasts, when I have people in from a winery, yeah. I, I pull out something old uh, from that winery to taste. Sadly... Um, and usually it's something that's either going to be too old or just right, and that's always the hope. Uh, the stuff I have from Creekside isn't even ready yet, so there was nothing that I was willing to pull out of the cellar and go. <laughs> I, you know, I think the youngest thing I had uh, was a 2010 Reserve Merlot. Oh, I'm like oh, that's that's still too young. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that I had some 07, 05, and 01 uh, Laura's Red, but I uh, had them with some people over, and we did a little vertical of them. How was they- one? Uh, One was a little Getting a little tired Yeah Uh, Five was drinking well now And seven was just You know ready to go
1: Yeah it's ready Yeah. Yeah. Seven was one of my Favorite vintages of Laura To date
0: So sadly There's nothing that I can Pour for you that's old That's okay But we'll have you in again we'll pour that 10 when it's ready
1: yeah we've got some really great libraries of these fellows too down in the cellar so pretty much an entire like vertical of broken right back to 04 and the last time we pulled cork on 04 and it tends to be the cooler vintages that i love for whatever reason at creek the four is starting to dissipate in color but still holding well but it's like a drink me now and drink me quick kind of moment so it's in its like little sweet moment
0: yeah all right, so then the next wine we're going to do is Broken Press. Am I correct? Tim? It is. All right. So, and I guess the only way to really talk about these wines is in comparison to one another. It's hard, especially now that you have them in in the same vintage year. You can't just go, well, this wine is this, this wine is that. There's there's something to be said and how they relate. This is this is like a little family here of how they're made.
1: Yeah, brother, sister, baby cousin, pretty much. So broken and unbroken, we get a lot of raised eyebrows with broken press because of that 3% composition of Viognier. Why would any right-minded winemaker take a beautiful, bold, aromatic white like Vo with all that texture and drop it into a massive, intense, Syrah-styled wine? Now, when you get broken and unbroken side by side, you really understand where that 3% of skin contact is going. Broken Press is far more, dare I say, feminine, not to be gender specific, but it's a more Christmas nostalgic spice, lots of cinnamon, yep. clove, that nutmeg character. There's still that rippy Syrah iconic pepper spice, mm. but it's not as aggressive or as prevalent as in Unbroken.
0: Which, think, is, which is 100% Syrah. 100%
1: yeah. Syrah. And Broken Press, too, is all neutral. So when we talk about new barrels in 2016's Broken Press, it's 2014 barrel so still to rob that's considered to be newer wood okay not new by all means but the biggest composition of newer wood we've seen in broken since the last hot vintage
0: so now i was um, noticing again i gotta go back to the fall but but even now uh, you know four or five months later broken is still soft and approachable but there's still those nice ripe tannins again another wine that'll age you know a decade Mm. easily
1: This is a real fun one, and I think, iconically for Creekside, that Syrah portfolio that we love and thrive and have really beat our brows over year after year after year, still getting that idea of Syrah into the minds and hearts of some of our naysayers down here Mm -hmm. in Ontario Reds. This is the one Red, I think, consistently, if grown in the right spot... We can really hang a hat on. There's some great producers like Cassaba and Stratus. Richie's doing awesome stuff with it up at Fielding. Like, there are some really great Syrah producers in Niagara, but those are also the same people that, like, dug their heels in and stuck with it and put in the time and effort to find the right vineyard site. And when it wasn't working, they pulled it out and planted it where it was supposed to. So thank goodness there's more of those guys coming to the table Because we collectively taste these wines with our peers And in fact, Rob's always using those producers Kind of as his litmus test to see where where we lie But we love the variety We think it's great We think it's the future of where some of these Ontario Reds Really viable Reds are going If we can just manage to keep it up And get consumers to think about Syrah and Shiraz Same grape Yep But if you love Shiraz There's things you're going to love about hot vintage Syrah
0: Correct, but we don't make Shiraz. Oh my God! Do we, we never? No. no. I mean, you guys—you guys started making Shiraz, mm-hmm. and um, thankfully you ditched the name. Like that was—that was the best thing you did because you never—you never did make Shiraz. But I understood it because Australia was hot at the time, oh, yeah. and everybody wanted to make Shiraz, whether you made Syrah or, or yep. Shiraz styles. But these are definitely Syrah. The, this one's got some lovely florality to it. You know, there's almost like a lavender note that comes out.
1: It's extracted. Then, it's pretty, though.
0: And then there's that, that white pepper. Uh, but what what I really dig about the 16, and I don't think it's been there in many vintages, is how ready it is to drink now. Mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, any other vintage of Broken Press that I've tasted has been so ready to go, nope. yet has such ageability as well. To go
1: even 15. When 2015 Broken Press came out, it was every every... Where everyone wanted to start talking It was 15 15 was the best one we've made to date Blah, 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 blah Then 16 came along Now, 15 in bottle is still super aggressive mm-hmm. Tannins are really chunky And really mouth-filling Pretty coarse throughout the palate Whereas this Tannins are there But they're firm They're not aggressive And they're not coarse This with a little bit of smoked meat Put a big protein in Some really fat cheeses you, You've you got a match made in heaven i got an
0: old cheddar right here oh, If you want to give it a it's shot It's the one so, Yeah and uh, so, yeah, I'm really, I'm really digging on the, uh, the broken press. I think that's a really lovely, um, and, and, it, and it just falls in line with the other broken presses that you've made, but, as I said, more approachable now. Now, do you think it's because Rob changed his style, or is this definitely a vintage variation?
1: It's vintage. Rob's style is pretty consistent year after year. It'll be vintage variation, really, that sets that Creekside portfolio apart. And it's always French oak. So the oaking influence hasn't changed. The way the wines are treated hasn't changed. They're stored in the exact same place. It's literally just vintage. No difference in yeast. None of that kind of stuff.
0: So now that it gets me uh, gets me kind of salivating for what we can do here with the unbroken press. And again, as it relates to the broken and the iconoclast. And after we get all three of them uh, talking about all three of them, we can definitely, um, you know, Talk about you know, why they're so why they're so different, I guess, or what makes them so similar, I guess.
1: Like, yeah. How do you feel about Syrah moving forward in Niagara, Michael?
0: Well, I'm a big fan of Syrah. Uh, always have been. I know uh, Andre is not, but he is starting <laughs> to slowly come around, which is nice to hear. Uh, I don't know if you're ever going to bring me around on Chardonnay, uh, but uh, you know, we do make some great Chardonnay in Ontario. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, just Chardonnay is a grape variety in its totality is never my favorite because I taste so much bad chardonnay. I was
1: going to say, and most people do.
0: Yeah, but some, but there are people who love chardonnay. So, uh, and and you know, my wife is one of them. She loves chardonnay. <laughs> She's just a big chardonnay fan. That's why we love Erica. But I but I know what she likes in chardonnay, and thankfully, I would say ninety five percent of the stuff that she likes in chardonnay, I also like in chardonnay. Um, there are certain ones that she likes a little bit better that have you know a little too much oak. But, you know, she's finding her way around Chardonnay.
1: You're more Cru chablisien, yes? Linear, I, I, more flinty? Well, I, I
0: like some minerality, but the, the parts about Chardonnay that I want are fruit. After all, Chardonnay is a fruit, and that's what I want to taste. The moment I start tasting too much oak, too much vanilla, too much butter, The grape's gone, yep. yeah. So, you know, Chateau 2x4, not a big fan. No, nope. so, I would agree. And I've tasted so much of that. So back now to uh, the broken, uh, the unbroken press. So this is 100% Syrah. Syrah.
1: All from Queenston Road Vineyard, exact same source as broken press. Only difference is 100% Syrah and there is seven. So think of how ripe that fruit would have been for Rob to consider seven brand new barrels for the unbroken press composition. So when we start bringing wood into the portfolio, and if Rob is actually going to bring new wood in, it's a pretty sticky argument in winemaking to bring that new wood in. So Rob's also a disciple, if you would, of Angelo Pavan, who is like the man for no oak or neutral oak in most of his red wines. And I think Rob's brought that into the Creekside style as well when it came to something like this. So for him to actually say, yeah, you know what? We need new wood to make the style come to life. It was a pretty big decision.
0: So this one, you know, I think it forgoes the the violets, the lavender, That's any the of that Bionia. floral. And uh, definitely hits hard on the pepper. There's mm. no
1: doubt. And it's like, a it's masculine pepper. It's cracked mm-hmm. plaque peppercorn. It's that pink, like... Uh, peppercorn that all spice character it's really really spicy and pretty much every component the fruits there but it sits all underneath all of that spice so i think once those tannins start to soften and you can feel the acid a bit more it'll pull that fruit up but now it's it's pretty much wood just because of its youth
0: yeah there is there is a lot of wood but it's not uh it's not liquid wood no okay there's definitely a fruit core that's underneath there uh there's that pepper uh there's Uh, but there is that cassis, there's the blackberry. It's all dark, dark fruit that's going to come out of this thing. And another one, easily a decade, if not more on this one. Easy. Um, I, like, I'd be drinking the broken press long before I'm drinking the unbroken press.
1: Oh, we're actually... So our team right now has been pulling corks on 2016 broken. If, again, very rarely will you find our winemaking team make any qualifying remarks about our wines. They are very, very humble. Tons of humility. And again, always looking at their colleagues and peers and friends. My goodness, Rob and Yvonne collectively are like, all of their closest friends are all fellow winemakers, so I can only imagine the peer pressure they feel bringing their bottles to a friend's house. But it's how these wines express that really, I guess, set Rob and Yvonne's winemaking style apart, and they are ardent in what they do. We will not pull broken or unbroken press if it's not there. So we have holes in the lineup, if you would, from vintage to vintage where broken press and unbroken press just never hit the table because it just wasn't there.
0: So let's let's kind of sum up at the moment yeah. what we're looking at here. We're looking at three syrahs from the same, same vintage, same vintage, same vineyard, same vineyard, uh, picked at basically well all all picked at the same time and it's all made at the same time and then only when you guys are ready to make the barrel selection exactly. Is everything picked into either Broken Press, Unbroken Press, or uh, Iconoclast?
1: Well, as much as I would love to tell Rob, hey, you know what? We are selling out every vintage early of Broken Press. Go and make me more. There's no integrity behind that. And I think that's one of the reasons I love Creek so much and kind of pushed myself to find or search out... Rob and Yvonne and the team that's there because I wanted to work with people who were as passionate and ardent about what they did as I was. And they will dig in and will not move. So if I'm like, hey, Rob, you know, I need an extra 10 cases to really hit that bottom line. He's like, beat it, kid. This is what you got. But here's the other things that are coming along that are fun and interesting. That's how Iconoclast came to be because the Syrah was so great one year and there was only a certain number of barrels that were iconically broken press. But Rob didn't want to blend it off into general lists. Surratt was too good. So, voila, Iconoclast was born. So, what
0: we didn't talk about is your background. How do you get into wine?
1: I'm a huge nerd. So, my father was actually a vineyard manager when I was a kid. And we would spend, like, Saturday afternoons, like, heading out with Dad, mounting up snow in the vineyard while he had a few last-minute things to do. And I swore I would never set back, like, foot back on another farm ever again. Yeah. Lo and behold, I work my way through university and fine dining, bite the wine bug. Look, sit my parents down at dinner, look at both of them and say, you know what? I don't really want to go to law school anymore. I think you're gonna take a year off and I'm gonna, you know, explore wine, get some wine education. I thought my mother was going to die. Um, and here I am. So I went and got my SOM cert, <clears throat> was fortunate enough to team up with like chef Mark Bacconi, who I did my stage with and Jennifer Wilhelm, who's been a massive wine mentor of mine and have beaten the, beaten the wine path ever since. And I have not looked back. Great. Thanks, Brittany. I appreciate it. Michael, you thanks
0: being for here. having me. And uh, Amber, uh, I know you enjoyed the place to sit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks for listening. Please subscribe
0: to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.